Thank you. It would have been a real shame to waste this particular sermon because I actually did my master's thesis on Colossians, so I have a lot to say. (laughs) It's also my son's sixth birthday, so we might only be here for five minutes. Who knows? We'll find out, right? Brilliant. So, hello, I'm Mark. I'm part of the team here at Trinity, and I'm so pleased that you're joining us today, especially if you're here for the first time. It's just a pleasure to see you. Um, And we are in the midst of a series on keys to renewal, and this is our third session together. So, so far, Johnny and Amy have talked a little bit about what it means to have a renewed mind. And personally, I'm really excited about this series because renewal moments, consecration moments, we might term them, in the Bible, they're important because they happen for a reason, They happen for a reason. So renewal moments, consecration moments, the moments where the people of God get back to thinking about what God has called them to, what God has set them apart for. Biblically, this kind of moment has a purpose. And its purpose is for us to encounter God, to be transformed, and to be commissioned. So in this series, we gather to go. We gather to go. We come together to encounter God, to be transformed, to go. So this is like the impulse behind the confession that we started with. We come in, we bring the whole of ourselves, we bring it to God, trusting that he wants to give himself to you and me, to you and me as individuals, to Trinity Church, Nottingham, as a community, for the purpose of outworking his purposes, lots of purpose, in our city, in our nation, in our world. God is about something really massive, and we get to join in with it. We gather to worship for this reason. We gather to encounter the God who calls us to worship, to receive everything he has for us, and then to live into his purposes with our whole lives. We gather to go. I think I only have one speed this morning. This is it. Buckle up. Um, So right now, As part of our worship, what are we doing? We're letting the message of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell in us richly. Okay, so don't switch off just because you sat down. Don't switch off because you sat down, because because otherwise that will happen. Um, (laughs) Because you and I... You and I are co-laborers. I fixed it. Look at that. Magical. <laughs> I was, Amy was hoping for, I was hoping for a round of applause there because I fixed it. Thank you. Um, just in case we're keeping time on the sermon as well, like that bit didn't count. Um, so right now, as part of our worship, what are we doing? What were we doing before we were so rudely interrupted? We're letting the message of Christ dwell in us. And that's something that you and me do together. I don't do it to you. You don't just hear it from me. You have something to contribute to this. You and I, we're letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly together. We're co-laborers before God in this moment. So what I want to do is to invite you right at the beginning to join in with this. So take a minute, maybe close your eyes, and invite God. Say to God today, God, I want everything that you have for me. God, I want everything that you have for me today. 
God, I want to hear your word to me today. I want the word of Christ to dwell richly in me. Bring your openness to this. God, we, we sit before you, we want to hear your word. Like Tony talked about, it's your word. And we want it to come and encounter us and transform us. And we will not be satisfied with anything less. Come and have your way. Here as it is in heaven. Amen. Wonderful. So we're in this series about keys to renewal. And today we're looking at worship. Um, And for the next few minutes, I want to think about what we do when we gather to worship. So we gather to go. And there is this tension that we're not going to talk primarily. I'm not going to talk primarily about the way that our whole life is worship. That's a deeply biblical way of thinking about worship. It's an important way of thinking about worship. It's just not what we're focusing on today. So today, what I do want to think about is what we do when we gather on a Sunday. Not least because we've just had read to us the only passage in the New Testament that really mentions the kinds of things that we actually tend to do on a Sunday, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. I mean, I'm trying to teach and admonish you. You get to judge the wisdom, right? You discern too. We're co-laborers. Um, we do psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, don't we? We let the message of Christ dwell in us. This is a description. This is taking us to church, right? And it's about the only place in the New Testament that we really get a description of it. So that's why we're in this scripture. And so from this perspective, when we're thinking about our gatherings, what is... Worship. Well, the thing I want to suggest to you this morning, you may have heard, you may have many other answers. There are lots of other very good answers. But the thing I want to suggest to you this morning is that worship is a practice. Worship is a practice. Worship is a practice. Once more with feeling. Um, What does that mean? What does it mean to think about worship as a practice? Well, one of my favorite writers about worship is James K.A. Smith, Jamie Smith. He wrote this book. It's called You Are What You Love. I'm recommending it now by holding it up at the front of church so you know what it looks like when you go and search for it online. Um, Very good book. And in this book, he writes this. He describes worship in this really helpful way. It's going to come up on the screens. Um, It's quite a long quote. It says, Worship works from the top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to God to show our devotion and give him our praise. That does happen, but it's not all that happens. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. What is worship? Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. It's deep, right? By the book. Um, Worship isn't just something we do. It's where God does something to us. Worship isn't just something we do. It's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. Worship is a practice. Worship is an arena of encounter. 
Worship is the gymnasium where God retrains our hearts, right? You thought you just came to church. Let's dig into this for a minute. There are three things from our passage in Colossians that I want to touch on really briefly, and then we'll talk about what happens when we worship. So I want to talk about ways that, uh, some ways that worship happens very, very briefly, and then we'll talk about what it is that happens. So number one, worship happens in community. So we teach and admonish one another, one another. It wasn't a stunt when I got you to pray. I really do need you to not switch off, right? We are genuinely co-laborers in this. When you became, when you become a member of this church, if you are not yet, if you are only on week four out of six, when you come to worship here, it's like you take out a gym membership, not a Netflix subscription, It's a gym membership, not a Netflix subscription. I'm not really that interested in whether you're entertained. That's clearly a lie. I'm trying to be funny. But you have a contribution to bring. You have a contribution to bring. And I need you to bring it. I need this from you. I need what you bring. It's through what you bring that I get admonished and encouraged. It's out of your mouth that I hear psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Worship happens in community. That's number one. Number two, worship happens in song. So going back to the very beginning of our passage, not the place where it actually talks about songs, we're going to talk about the Greek. I told you there was a master's thesis behind this. The Greek word melos underlies the way that the, the, the word which in our translation comes out, whatever. So a more literal way of saying it might be the melos that is earthly, right? The melos that is earthly. And melos can either refer to a body part, can even be used euphemistically, um, a body part or a song. So melos is the root word for our word melody, right? Melody. And this emphasizes the importance of the psalms, hymns, and songs in the Spirit, which it's going to mention later in verse 17. It emphasizes the importance of the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in our gathered worship. Why? Because it means that worship is the name for the moments of your week that don't dance to the tune of the sin-sick world that you spend most of your time in. Worship is the name for this other song. In fact, when you enter into worship, you're invited to trade the sin song inscribed in your bones for a new song, a Christ song, a freedom song. This is what worship is. This is what it means for it to be an arena of encounter. Worship happens in community Worship happens in songs. And the third thing that I want to highlight is that worship happens in bodies. You probably have already noticed this today, but we engage with songs in an immersive bodily way. Now, you can't sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another without engaging your lungs, your tongues, and your lips. You can't do this in your head. 
It's not just a head faith moment, this isn't. This is something which engages our bodies. In fact, the diverse muscle groups that make up your core, your minor muscles maybe, your diaphragm, your abs, your pelvic floor, even your gluteus maximus, they all play a surprisingly important physiological role in helping you to sing. It takes all of you. It takes all of you. In worship, like worship happens in our whole bodies. It happens to the whole of us. This is why it goes after your heart and not just your head. You have to engage brain to sing as well. It just didn't really feel like it needed stating. It takes all of you. This is why it's so potent. It inscribes this new song into our bodies and not just our minds. Worship is a gymnasium for your soul. That union, that union of physical and immaterial reality, which every human person actually is. It's after all of you. This is why worship's the key to renewal for us, right? We need this song embedding in our hearts and, and our minds. So worship happens in community. It happens in song, and it happens in bodies. But what happens? What happens when you and I worship? To get at this, I want to go back to thinking about worship as a practice, What's special about practices? I mean, after all, they're just sets of behavior, really, aren't they? What's special about practices is that practices have a purpose. Practices have a purpose. A practice points you in a particular direction. Practices are designed to achieve something. If you start giving as a practice, you may just become more generous. It's pointing you in a particular direction. Giving might become a habit. There's an intentionality to practices. And to think about this, we could think about a sports team. Perhaps, since it's me that has the microphone at the moment, we could think about Newcastle United, the richest team in the world, because that's who I support, right? And I supported them before they were rich, and definitely before they were good, because they are not good yet. Anyway, I'm sorry, Matt, but it's true. <laughs> think about this team. Think about this team when they're practicing. What's going on, right? There's a community dedicated to a goal. At least I think they're dedicated to the goal of winning football matches, right? What's practice for them? Practice means learning behaviors that will get them closer to that goal. That is what practice is. The aim is not just to enjoy the practice, although that would help. The aim is to be so shaped by the practice that you become the kind of person, the kind of community that is capable of achieving the goal. The aim is to become that kind of a people. As a Newcastle fan, this is a bit of a theoretical concept for me. We haven't, we haven't won much recently. But you can see it everywhere. In dance, the aim is to become the kind of person, the kind of group capable of the range of movements required to perform a piece with the requisite attention to detail to create that moment, to express that emotion. In drama, the aim of learning lines, learning to express emotion, learning to move in the right way, learning to act with the rest of the cast with chemistry is to create a meaningful performance, to create a moment. In business... 
What's the point of doing best practice? It's for the company to be successful, whatever the sector it's in. It wants to succeed. That's what practice is about. Practice has purpose. So if worship is a practice, what's its purpose? Where is worship pointing us? If we look at Colossians 3 again, I think it gives us a clue. Look at what comes immediately before Paul writes about worship, about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, letting the word of Christ dwell in us. The vast majority of our passage is about putting off and putting on. We put off the old self and we put on Christ. So what's the point? What, where's worship pointing us? The practice of worship points us to Jesus Christ. Right now, what are we doing? We're letting the word of Christ dwell in us. That's what we're doing. This is why worship is a key to renewal. It's a practice that points you to Christ. And more than that, that gets this Christ song into your bones, that shapes your life around Jesus Christ. And when this happens, you and I are renewed in knowledge according to the image of our creator. That's what Colossians tells us to expect. That's what we ought to be expecting when we come into worship. That's why we come to worship. That's what we should be expecting. As individuals, as a community, we ought to be expecting God to reshape us around himself because we came to an arena of encounter. And honestly, this is why at Trinity we're pursuing wild worship. It's because worship, this set of activities, points us to Christ and shapes us in his image. You thought you just came to church this morning, right? You were wrong. That's the voice I would have used when I read the vice lists. Wrath, anger. We'll get to that later. When we don't recognize the power in this, we're like children mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. We're like toddlers playing with uranium. There's power in this practice that we do. Feel that. There's power in this practice that we do because God's a powerful God. And you know what? It's not tame and it's not safe, but it is good. Worship points you to Christ and it goes after your heart. Look at what Paul identifies when he's talking about what the Colossians should put off. Here's my chance. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. What's at stake in this vice list? Someone handed me a commentary just before I came up, which I thought was slightly late. But, um, but in the commentary, it might refer to this as a vice list. That's, um, that's where this name is coming from. A list of vices. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. What's at stake here? These are all deeply embodied desires. They're things that exist in your body. And they all name ways for love to go wrong. Ways for desire to go wrong. It's love for its own sake, not lived out in relation to God. It's love for its own sake, not lived out in relation to God. And you can tell where someone's heart is. 
by what comes out of their mouth. Jesus, talking about the Pharisees, says, by their fruits you will know them. And Paul has some similar kind of thought process going on here. Look at his second list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. Carries on into verse 9. Do not lie to one another. These are all things that come out of your mouth. Broken desires lead to broken speech. Paul addresses misshapen desires and then moves on to broken speech, to anger, to lies. Why pick out these things? Why pick out these things? Because God made you for more. God made you for more. Your words are potent because God made you in his image. You were made in the image of a God whose words are spirit and life. You were made in the image of a God on whose words the being of the cosmos rests moment by moment. And in Christ, you're supposed to speak words that share in God's reality. Your speech is supposed to be kingdom speech. This is why God calls you to come to worship, to come and encounter him, so that he can renew you in the knowledge of your creator, so that you can go out and tell the world what's really real, who God is. I just want to say, in case this needs saying, I'm sure for many of you, you haven't heard it this way, but don't get this wrapped around your head. Worship is not a practice um, so that you can achieve it. Worship um, is not... Worship is not something that you can do. It's somewhere where you come to encounter God. The lists, the vice lists, are not here so that you can earn God's favor by avoiding fornication. The practice, the thing that we're identifying is that we come after God has called us. We respond to God's gracious call of us, that we are held by the community of God's people, each other, And that we're transformed by repeatedly encountering the Spirit. This is something that you're opening yourself up to. This is something that's happening to you. This is you encountering the power of God, not you achieving the favor of God. This is what God has for you, though. Right? All of this. You and I, we spend all week in a world which is trying to squeeze us into a not-Christ mold. And so putting on Christ isn't something that happens once and it's done. You get dressed every day. I mean, at least I hope you do. You get dressed every day. And every day, you're invited to put to death the sin song that's written on your fallen heart and put on Christ. Paul writes, I die daily. Right? This is why you need practice. Don't take it personally. I said it to everyone. This is why you need practice. This is why you need a Sunday. This is why you have to gather in order that you can keep going. It's not easy. Worshipping together is the practice that we do to help us stand up to the cacophony and mature in Christ. Don't you want that? Don't you want to mature in Jesus Christ? I really don't think that God's interested in making you a good 
Christian. Whatever it is that fills that little picture window in your mind that I've just opened up. But I think he's heavily invested in making you good at putting on Christ. I don't think he wants to make you a good Christian. You don't need to be a good Christian. Hallelujah. I think, he needs, I think you need to be good at putting on Christ. I think God gives us worship. God calls us to worship for that reason. And actually, it's about to get academic. The imagery of taking off and putting on is about maturity. In the ancient context in which this letter was written, when a young man came of age, they put on the toga virilis. It's not a picture, it's just a word, but you, you can see what it is. This is um, this Latin word, the toga virilis, virilis is the toga of manhood. It's the attire of adulthood. And we've kind of lost this sense of clothing marking maturity. We lost it when adults started to wear trainers, I think. But um, <laughs> guilty, guilty, don't, don't hate me. Um, but we've lost this sense of clothing marking maturity. But you can still hear echoes of it around, right? Like a graduation gown, Okay, you put something special on, it marks this movement, maybe into maturity, but we are talking about students. Um, having been a student for 11 years, I get to make that joke. That's, that's what I agreed uh, with myself. But um, you can see it, when I was ordained, um, a whole new wardrobe choice was made available to me, the dog collar. Um, I was going to try and put one on mid-sermon, but this thing's attached to my neck and it won't work. This is a piece of clothing that means something, right? So meaning being invested in clothes is not something that we really think about a lot, but there is still echoes of it around. And the toga virilis, this attire of adulthood, in Colossae, in this first century patriarchal society, when a young man turns 14, he's allowed to wear the toga virilis. He grows up, right? It showed everyone that you're now dealing with a man. Uh, yes, he was 14. I'm coming back to that. Interestingly, you can wear the toga virilis, but you can't make a property deal until you're 21. It takes years to learn to wear the toga virilis. It takes years. You have to learn to wear it. In fact, it's your father's job to teach you how to wear it well. In Colossians 1 verse 28, Paul writes that he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what he's trying to do with this letter. He's interested in growing these people up. He's interested in kind of going, hey, you have been allowed to put on Christ. This is what it means to wear Christ well. You don't get in to the kingdom of God by avoiding, I can only remember fornication, by avoiding fornication or anger or wrath or malice. You don't get into the kingdom of God. You come into the kingdom of God because God loves you and God wants you on the inside and God sent Christ to become sin in order to find you, right? You're brought in. But being in Christ, there's a whole world. There's a whole world of significance that you're invited into in that. And worship is what Paul points to as the practice to help us put Christ on. Paul isn't interested in an infantile faith. He wants to see these people mature. So he tells them to let the word of Christ dwell in them 
and to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together. He tells them to worship. The invitation of Colossians to us is to put on maturity in Christ. When we enter the worship gymnasium, we're invited to strip off everything that isn't what God intended for us. The sin that so easily entangles. And we're invited to put on Christ. This isn't always comfortable. Christ is self-giving and deeply loving and moved by his love for others and not motivated by ego. And it's so countercultural that it can be disorienting. And I don't want to kid you that this is just trading sadness for happiness and off we go. We're invited to put on Christ. The reason it takes practice is because it's not always straightforward to know what that means in any given situation. But my sense is that today, God wants to call us as a community, Trinity Church, Nottingham, to take off some things and put on others. And you may already be in a moment where God's speaking to you about that, maybe wider than this morning, maybe this morning, maybe like through prophetic words, maybe about the raising of the head. Maybe this is already happening for you. That's great. Lean into it. This is the gym. This is where you try that on. That's great. Do that. But I want to name a few things that have been particularly on my heart of mind as I've been thinking about this. So, some of the things that I think maybe we're invited to take off this morning. Number one, disappointment. So, this is not, actually, this is not about undoing the past or denying the reality of the fact that you maybe have been hurt. In fact, it might actually mean confronting disappointment. It might mean confronting your past. It might be painful to do. We'll pray with you. But disappointment sings a song. It says that things will always inevitably unravel. And if that's the case, then you probably shouldn't get your hopes up. Disappointment sings a song that sounds like cynicism. That's a sin song, not a Christ song. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ comes to give life to the full. I think we're invited this morning to take off disappointment. The second thing I think we're invited to take off is reasonableness. I think these two are maybe quite close together, but I think it's important to say it. So beware the soul-sucking voice of reasonableness, which curtails your expectation to the COVID-shortened horizons we've had to learn to live with. Why? Because it will have you settle for satisfaction with something that is less than God. You were made for all of God. God is not reasonable. Wanting God is unreasonable. God wants you in unreasonable ways. God wants to give you all of God, and he demands absolutely all of you. That is not reasonable, but it is what you were made for. 
yeah, reasonableness is a sin song, not a Christ song. I say that as a very reasonable person. It hurts me. <laughs> Disappointment, reasonableness, lies. Take off lies. Um, I have no idea where we are time-wise, but I'm going to spend a minute here. The idea that we're postmodern, post-truth, only interested in whether things connect emotionally, is an invitation to commune with the father of lies. God is more real than that. God is more real than that, and lies crumble when they come into contact with reality. It's a sin song that it doesn't matter whether it's true. It matters whether it connects for you emotionally. That is a sin song, not a Christ song. When I was partway through training to um, be allowed to wear a dog collar, I went to a church service. You go to a lot of church services when you're training like that. Um, And I found myself sat there troubled in my spirit, or, you know, other words that aren't quite so biblical. Um, I was, I found myself fearful, and I'd, so I started to try and dig at this, and ask God, what is it that I'm afraid of? And I was afraid of the immediate future, because I had some specific decisions to make, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, but it's not just that. I'm afraid of the long-term future. I'm afraid of whether I've got what it takes to be a minister in the Church of England, But it's actually not just that. I'm afraid of whether I am enough. I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. Full stop, end of, Mark Reeford is just not enough. That's what I'm afraid of, right? I was writing this in a note on my phone so that I could maybe try and do something about it. I don't know what I was going to do. I was writing it down so that I could at least remember it. And I got to the end of that line, I'm afraid that I'm not enough which is a humbling line to write down. And the person stood up at the front of this service and said, there are some of you wondering if you're good enough. You are enough because you are in Christ. That did not settle this for me. I put this on every day. But this is what I have for you. This is what I have for you. This is the gift that God's given me. And this is what I have for you. What are some of the lies here? Condemnation, shame, the idea that you're too far away from God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the most remarkable verse in the Bible, if you're asking me. He, who knew no, he made him who knew no sin to become sin. God made Jesus sin. Sin is the place where God is not. Jesus is God, and God put them together for you. There is not too far There is not too far. Too far doesn't exist. That's what that Bible verse tells me. There is not too far. That's a lie. That's a lie. Shame, the condemnation, the whole bit, the lowering the head, the idea that Jesus is not with you, the idea that you've been abandoned, the idea that you could ever get away from this, that's not true. Take it off. And put on something instead. So... You come here to to have your sin-sick song diagnosed and to have it replaced with a Christ song. So what's a Christ song to put on this morning? First, these things build in my head, but I don't think they have to. So 
intimacy. When you put on Christ, you are brought on the inside of the relationship between the Father and the Son because the bond of love that exists between the Father and the Son comes into your heart. It's shed abroad in your heart, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is nothing other than the love that exists between Father and Son and comes into you to wrap you up in it. You are in intimate relationship with God when you put on Christ. That's why we practice doing it, because we need that. That's what we're made for. The Christ song is not that you are condemned and ashamed and your head is lowered. It's that you're chosen. It's that you are beloved. It's that God is pleased with you because he sees his son in you. And that's why he's forming you to go. That's why he's forming you to go, because he's pleased with you. He's pleased with you and he's transforming you in order that you can take this out with you into the world that you exist in. Put on intimacy. This is what is true about you no matter what lie you've believed. Put on identity. When you put on Christ, you are no longer your own. For you to live is Christ, to die is gain. The Christ song is that you are no longer a slave to the things that used to bind the artist formerly known as you. You're set free in Christ to live out the kingdom. This is what defines you, not what anyone else will tell you is a reasonable expectation. Stop being reasonable and start being Christ. Put on intimacy, put on identity, and put on authority. When you put on Christ, you gain a spiritual authority. Everywhere you go, you are the aroma of Christ. And it cuts both ways, right? You're the aroma of death to those who are dying, and you're the aroma of life to those that God's calling, right? C.S. Lewis talks about the time that the children in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first hear the name Aslan, and it provokes different reactions in them. And for Edmund, it provokes this mysterious sense of horror, because Edmund's like um, in, under the spell of the White Witch. And for Susan, it sounds like she just caught a glimpse of a beautiful strain of music. This Christ song cuts in different ways. But you... You carry Christ. You're called to release the blessing which God announces in creation, which God promises to Abraham, and which is for all the nations. You are a daughter. You are a son. And, and throwing this blessing out into the world is the family business. This is what God's doing, and this is what you're doing as a result. You are called to make a difference to a disappointed world by holding out the hope of the gospel. So, yeah, I think let's respond to that. Let's take a moment to put off and put on. Take off and put on. I'd love to invite the band to come back up. Um, and we're just going to come before God in worship. Come back to this arena of encounter. Come back to this place where God transforms us. Um, I want you to just, yeah, I want you to hold in your heart before God the questions of what he's inviting you to take off and put on this morning. I want to invite you into that this morning. So whatever that looks like for you, maybe it's standing, maybe it's sitting, maybe it's kneeling, let's respond in worship.